Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the fucking Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. shootout attempt in his career and on Seelops who made the save and the Canucks win I think that's like like extra boost what a freaking boost eventually it was a second round pick could be something Halford sure was. okay something. <laughs> sure, he sure was Greg into the Vancouver zone shot right on stopped by Seelops big rebound Evangelista scores Luke Evangelista follows up and scores his first career NHL goal well 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 how the turntables Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. The president of the Luke Evangelista Fan Club, Greg Ballack, a.k.a. Laddie. Good morning, Laddie. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> we still don't care about him. I, I, I'm with Jason on this one. While two I, goals. Two. Not, two. not one, but two goals. <clears throat> okay. Focus, everybody. We have a show to do. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We do care about Kintech. Jason, tell them more. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We have a lot to get into on the show today. We have a big guest list ahead. Three guests for your listening listening pleasure. Uh, the first is David Amber, Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada NHL host, is going to join us at 6.30. A lot of Canadian teams in action yesterday. What a dramatic win for the Calgary Flames. Boy, did they need it. Yeah, and Huberto needed that game. He had a couple of assists, including a nice pass to Tyler Toffoli on the winner with a few seconds left. And guess who tweeted about it in the aftermath? Alan Walsh. Oh, what a surprise. Uh, 7.30. It's the Drancer. Thomas Drance is going to join us uh, on the heels of a Canucks win. 5-4 in a... Was it 5-4? Or 4-3. My bad. 4-3 in the shootout uh, over the Nashville Predators yesterday. Talk to Drancer about that. Everything going on in Canucks land. 8 o'clock. What unbelievable... Impeccable timing for the booking of this guest. 8 o'clock, K.J. Wright, former Seahawks linebacker. We got, I think it was almost two weeks ago, we were trying to book a particular time for K.J. We're like, maybe don't do it on trade deadline week in right. the NHL. That's not going to work. <laughs> he doesn't know where Luke Cunning or whoever else is going to get traded. So anyway, uh, we said let's just slot him in on, I don't know, March 7th. Well. Look at that. The day after Geno Smith signs a three-year extension with the Seattle Seahawks, we have K.J. Wright on the show. I planned that on purpose, by the yeah, way. Yeah, very well in, done. I knew in advance they were signing Smith yesterday, Geno yesterday, so I was like, I'm going to book him. And in a weird twist of fate, uh, another one of K.J. Wright's former quarterbacking teammates, Derek Carr, mm-hmm. also got a new job yesterday. So we'll talk to K.J. about all this NFL stuff at 8 o'clock. So working in reverse, 8 o'clock is K.J. Wright, 7.30 is Thomas Drance. 6.30 is David Amber. That's what's happening on the program. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Canucks win! Canucks win! Elias Patterson now up to 30 goals on the year. He also got the shootout winner 
Uh, in the final round of the shootout, as I mentioned, the Vancouver Canucks won 4-3, not 5-4, but 4-3 in the shootout against the Nashville Predators at Rogers Arena last night. You know, the worst part of all this is Drance is going to come on our show today and do the I told you so, I told you so routine because Drance was the one who predicted that the Canucks would win a bunch of games down the stretch when Demko came back and when the schedule softened up. And, God, it's just the worst when he turns out to be a little bit right because the Canucks are 5-2-1 and one in their last eight. Um, as we mentioned yesterday, it seems very, very, very unlikely now that they'll finish in the bottom five. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because... There's five players in the draft that people really, really like. And then there's some good players after those five. But, um, you know, there are some good things happening with the Canucks. It's just that in the back of a lot of people's minds, it's like, couldn't you have done this in the beginning of the season and not the end of the season when we're actually like into tanking mode? You know, when 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 we're looking ahead to the draft, like, Mm -hmm. why why are you doing this now? But at the same time, you know, if you're if you're the head coach, Rick Tockett, you love a lot of this stuff because you're seeing some stuff coming together a little bit. It's certainly not perfect. Again, the Canucks blew a multi-goal lead uh, last night against the Nashville Predators, and I'm sure they weren't happy with that. But remember when they were blowing multi-goal leads early in the season and not even getting points out of it, yep. not even getting it to overtime? So I guess this is progress. I guess this is progress. You get the multi-goal lead. You're not able to protect it, but you're able to get it to overtime and and a shootout, and you're able to win that. So there are some good things happening with this team. It's just, of course, as Canucks fans, we can't fully, fully enjoy them without knowing that there are consequences to these wins. Like You'd think that we'd all kind of be used to this by now, because how many times has this been that the Canucks have fallen way out of playoff contention, essentially waved the white flag on the season, and then we had the meaningless games? down the stretch in the spring. I mean, it's happened plenty of times, and plenty of times the Canucks have come back and won more games than a certain cross-section of the fan base would want them to. Like, look look at the things that we can, we can say are good about the Canucks last night. Archer Seelofs, just a young goalie in the organization who nobody expected to be in the NHL this season, came in and played pretty well again. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect, but... Uh, he got the start. He played pretty well in the game, and then he stopped all three Preds in the shootout. That was Elias, under emergency circumstances too. Elias into that game. Elias Pettersson. He's up to thirty goals now. He's been unbelievable, and his shot uh, that beat Saros last night was an incredible shot. That was inc- I, I, I incredible didn't know he, incredible I didn't think, shot. No, he scored it first. Like was mm. that was that in? That was so in- he, insane. He picked. Like the one hole that I think was like a puck-sized hole that was like just one yeah. little puck could could slot in there yeah. on UC Saros and no the Preds didn't play it very well defensively like I don't know why they gave him that much time they didn't even really challenge him. You guys um, have not pointed out the most important part of last hold night's on, game. Hold on, just can, can I, I'm trying. I'm listening. I'm listening. listening. Two goals? Uh, Dakota Joshua is up to nine goals. Like that's pretty good for him. Mm-hmm. You know he's, he's been good. and he's got one year left on his contract. At, at, you know, he's been a nice find by this new management group. Another huge minutes night for Quinn Hughes, who's showing that he is a, you know, I think he showed this before, but he's certainly showing it now that he's one of the elite defensemen in the NHL who can play these games where he's playing almost almost 30 minutes a night. Now, some people will push back and be like, 
why is Rick Tockett playing Quinn Hughes 30 minutes a night? Well, it's nice to at least have a guy who's capable of doing it. Now, Andy, what was the best part of last night? Hold, hold on, I'm listing. I'm listing here. Let <laughs> He's me list. listing. He's listing. <laughs> Don't interrupt me in the list. He's a list guy now. Kuzmenko traded a, a stick for a banana with a fan That's before true. the game. That was a, that was and a good moment. And you didn't have that in your notes. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> that was a good moment. The best moment of the season. The best moment? Of not just the game. Mm. Maybe not even the season. Maybe the entire Canucks franchise and then talking and then talking benched him <laughs> for part of the game last night after three yeah. turnovers, yeah. including giving up his stick for a banana. Yeah, you can't play anymore. There was multiple kids, <laughs> multiple kids with signs on the glass, asking, "Yeah, well, I'll trade you." I was like, now you realize this is going to be a thing, right? This is going to happen every game now because Mango's just completely opened the floodgates to this. He's going to get his potassium yeah. one way or the other. <laughs> no, I was. I I get where you're going with the opening monologue there because. This is oh my Johnny Carson. Hey, great show tonight. We got a chimp that juggles. Um, I think I think part of this, unfortunately, because I hate it, is the never-ending back and forth between Team Tank and Team Not Tank. Oh, it's, right? It's yeah. It's very easy. It's very red meat for our listenership because anytime you can get a polarizing debate with two sides very entrenched in their particular stances it's always fun you pit them against each other then they fight to the death but um i think from a canucks perspective if we want to go there right now you're you're right like there has to be a lot of really positive takeaways from what's gone on in large part because that's what rick Tockett was tasked with upon taking this job Mm -hmm. he had to undo a lot of the stuff that you know bruce boudreaux either had control over, quite frankly, didn't have control over things that transpired on Boudreaux's watch. He had to reverse those bad habits, bad structure, not protecting the guts of the ice. The other interesting thing, and, you know, to be fair, I think in hindsight, we didn't really hyper-focus on this part of it because there were, the team issues were so, like, broad and wide. Uh, the individual performances and the guys that have gotten singularly better in this short Sample size under talk. It has been really impressive. Like you mentioned, Hughes, Pedersen, JT Miller's game numbers. A lot about him has been markedly different. We're, I not, think. we're not yelling at the TV as much at JT Miller, are, are we? Yeah, and I and I think it's got a lot to do with Tockett's presence and probably Foot and Gonchar as well, because he's mm. always quick to credit them for the work that they're doing in terms of teaching and instructional work. Look, folks, this is all about. Getting ready for next season. It was nice to see Pod Colson score yesterday too. Right, only and three goals on the season. It's been a real up and down season for him, including some time in the minors. But I think for the most part, we've all liked his game since he come back from Abbotsford. Talkit was asked about Pod Colson uh, after yesterday's morning skate, so ahead of the game, mm-hmm. and he said he's the quote that I thought stood out. He said he's really Pod Colson is really close to putting it together. Yeah. like He's t- not quite there yet. It's not 100% clicking, yep. but it's close. And I think that this is these are the things that you want to be optimistic about going into next season. Because really, for me, there it's a two-part challenge. The first one is getting the guys on the ice, currently on the roster, up to the standard where Tockett wants them to be. And... For, and that that that's not a small task because the leap that they're going to try and go from next year it is staggering in terms of difficulty is they want to go from being a bottom ten team and at times a bottom five team this yep. year in the NHL yep. to the playoffs 
right away. One year to the next. There's no intermediary. No, ah, we came close, but we fell short. Yeah, they're not close to the playoffs right now. They're far away from them. They are way, way, way in the distance. So in terms of the on-ice product, that's Tockett's responsibility. Try and get these guys up to that standard. Play at a 98-point pace for an entire season, not just stretches of it, and certainly not at the end when teams might be mailing it in against you. Although Nashville was in the in the hunt last night. Mm-hmm. They got Anaheim on Wednesday. That's, that's a game where both teams are going to be like, eh. We're giving away tickets to that game <laughs> yeah, today, we, too, by the way. You want to go see it, we are giving away tickets. Way to sell it. <laughs> There's the whole secondary conversation, which we've had at length, about uh, roster construction Adding to this group, because make no mistake about it, the group that played last night in Anaheim, or sorry, against Nashville, it's going to be fundamentally different in October of 2023 when next season starts. Like, all due respect to Burroughs and Juleson and Breezebaugh and Willannon. Willannon, like, Christian Willannon played 20 minutes last night. Yeah. that It's great that he got out there and he got a twirl and everything, but I, I'm going to conservatively suggest that if this team is in a playoff chase next March, Christian Molana, number 86 in your program, will be playing 20 minutes. Guys, I, I, you know, I think, well, I, I know this is kind of like, it sounds like a, a reactionary thing to say. I think Molana's been better than OEL. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, I, but I think, I, I, I think, think he has. I, I legit think he has. I think Breezeball's been better than him. Wow, Breezeball. <laughs> Breezeball still has his moments. Yeah. Um, Canucks veteran, Breezeball? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and not in a good way, those moments. Uh, but Wallanen, I mean, I think I think this is, this says less about Wallanen or, or Breezebaugh and you know because th- look, those guys aren't part of the future. They really aren't. Agreed. I mean, they're they're yeah. they're not the right age, and they're just not they're just not good enough. But they've done a they've done an admirable job filling in, right? But I think it says everything about OEL and what the Canucks have to do with OEL, and I think they should buy him out. I think that is the thing that they should do because. Um, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to see them give away futures to move OEL's contract because I think the amount of futures that they'd have to give up would be immense, and I just don't think they can afford that. But man, the OEL, I think think about the OEL deal, and I'm like, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's been done. It's in the it's in the past. Like, don't focus on the past so much. But mm-hmm. it's just so, it was just such a devastating deal, and the consequences are not going to be realized quite yet. In fact, they might have to be realized over eight years if they buy him out. But I think they need to. I think they should. I think you've seen depth defensemen come up from the AHL. From the AHL AHL defensemen have outplayed this guy. Yep. And and even Patrick Alvin conceded, like, OEL hasn't played well. And then he said, well, we're going to have to work with him. Like, can you work with him? Because it gets to the point sometimes when, when a player is just done. Mm-hmm. You know, well, yeah, I mean, what like what's going on right now? Um, you know, because some people are pushing back and they're like, I can't believe that this team isn't more aligned to lose games and the tank. And that is obviously talking about the roster that they're putting out there every night. Folks, they cannot go much further down the defenseman depth chart. Legitimately, like they have Willan and Breezebaugh, Juleson and Burroughs. That's four AHL defensemen right there. And if not four full fledged. Two of them maybe quad A guys that are up and down in a pinch, but you're talking about organizationally guys on your depth chart that are seven, eight, nine, ten. Like you are way down the list. And they're just kind of going out there and in a way probably more adept at playing the way Tockett wants to play because 
They keep it safe. They keep it simple. They try not to do anything too risky with the puck, and they'll get results. The, the problem is, is that you can't go 82 games with those guys because eventually you need them to play bigger minutes, to make more dynamic plays, to move the puck better, those kind of things. On the tying goal, on Nashville's tying goal, Breezeball made a mistake. He had the puck on his stick, and he kind of – I don't know if he, he yipped it or he, or he panicked, but it just was like it was it was on his stick, and then it was wait a minute, it's on Nashville's stick, right? The and fear, then it's in the back of the net. I think it was the fear of being out on the ice with a predator like Luke Evangelista. That's true. Yeah, he he is a very good player. Yeah. Um, let's look at the NHL uh, as a whole and what happened last night. Um, you mentioned it earlier in the show. The Calgary Flames got a very clutch win. In Dallas, when Tyler Toffoli scored with what four or five seconds left in regulation to beat the Stars five to four, six point two seconds remaining on the clock in regulation. Thank you for being very exact on this. Two, uh, two assists for Huberdeau, which is um, huge for him and huge for uh, the Calgary Flames. Uh, the Jets, they got a point, and that's kind of good for them the way the things have been going lately. But they should have had two because they were hosting the San Jose Sharks who beat the Jets in overtime last night. Um, so you're looking at the three teams involved in the race for the final wildcard spot. Um, the Predators got a point. The Jets got a point. The Flames got two points. So I guess that race just gets even closer now. The Jets move back into the third spot in the Central. So Colorado is now the last wild card team. On Colorado's got a points. bunch of games in hand, though, don't they? Uh, on Calgary, they do. Yeah. Because you got to remember, <laughs> Nashville is still the first team out of the wild card picture. Yeah. Like everyone in thinks, points percentage. Yeah, yeah. Like Nashville's got a way better situation than Calgary right now. Calgary's played way too many games. They're up to 64 played. They don't have enough points. You know how many points they have, guys? 69. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Colorado's got three games in hand on Winnipeg. So yeah, and yeah, so Winnipeg's got a bunch of games played as well. I mean, the the biggest issue, and we'll talk to David Amber about this at six thirty, is at what point is Calgary going to run out of runway or laneway or however you want to put it? Because it just doesn't seem like they have the type of team that has been able to string together any sort of results. You know why? Because through 64 games, they haven't strung together any sort of results this year. Mm -hmm. it was, it's very difficult to talk yourself into, oh, all they got to do is go on a heater. When you look at the regular season, they've never more won more than three games in a row this season. Uh, Connor McDavid, pretty good player. Eh. Scored twice in an Edmonton win over Buffalo. Get a load of the lead he's got in the scoring race and the goals race. So the goals race, he had two last night. He's up to 54 on the season. Second place is David Pasternak with 44. So he's 10 goals up for the Rocket Richard Trophy on David Pasternak. Mm -hmm. He's even more uh, up on the Art Ross Trophy race. He's got 124 points. 124 points in 65 games. That's so pretty good. 1.91 points per game, almost two points per game. Second place is his old teammate, not his old teammate, his teammate right now, Leon Dreisaitl, 96 points. So he's almost 30 points up on Dreisaitl. Right. And the funny thing is, like, a lot of Dreisaitl's points are, like, thanks to McDavid, mm -hmm. right? Now, a lot of McDavid's points are thanks to Dreisaitl. They're, they're an incredible duo um, at times. They don't always play together, but they are together out on things like the power play. He's got – he's got uh, Connor McDavid – has 58 power play points. Yeah. 
It's crazy. Like those guys dine out on the power play. And what team could trade away its – I don't even want to call Tyson Berry. He wasn't like the power play quarterback, although he was the defenseman. But yep. like everything's going to run through McDavid and Dreisaitl, but he was out there. And the Oilers were like, yeah, we can still trade him. Yeah, they were fine with it. You're going to Nashville. <laughs> we can put man. we can put any defenseman out on the power play. It'll it'll be fine as long as McDavid and Drysaddle are out there. Now, can I put the question out yeah. that I put out to Twitter yeah. to you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he would need just over two points per game. You said he's at one point nine one right now, bruv. So you need just over two points per game, forty in seventeen games, to reach tenth all time on the highest points per season record. Right. He would break one of Gretzky's records. Right. Gretzky has eight of the ten. So sorry, what was the total that you were talking about? I think 164 is right. what you would have to get to. It's hilarious because of the top ten scoring seasons, Gretzky has eight it, and, Lemieux, and has Lemieux has two. two yeah. yeah. So God, 164 points. It wasn't that long ago that Jamie Benn and John Tavares were winning the <laughs> the, the scoring title with like 87. Oh man. Um, 40 and 19 17. Is, or 40 and 17 is is ridiculous until you realize as Jason pointed out he's averaging 1.91 per game um I still think I still think I, it, if he can get to 150 which I think will be a cool mark that's that's like enough where we're like okay we've seen a scoring renaissance here speaking of the numbers as we tie it back to the Vancouver Canucks uh, I think there's a very good chance that Elias Pettersson well, he's going to break his career high in, in goals. He's two off the mark right now. He scored his 30th last night. Uh, I think it's v- well within his wheelhouse to be a 40-goal, 100-point guy this season, which I think would be a really nice silver lining for what's been a disaster of a season mm-hmm. organizationally. To have PD do this in a year where Bo Horvat, the captain, is traded away, there's talk about who's going to take the mantle and be the next leader of the team. I mean, you're making a pretty solid case to be that guy. When you talk about production, that you can put up those kind of numbers. It's so funny looking at the Canucks stats. And we haven't done this for a while, but the actual individual stats they've had offensively, they've got a number of players that have done very well. But the type of team they are, and that is uh, a team that at times can score a lot of goals, but at times, and most of the time, frankly, has been, this season has had big time trouble defending and big time trouble getting a save. So, you know, Bo Horvat left the Canucks after scoring 31 goals. Was that it? He had 31 goals in 49 games for them. Yeah. Petey's up to 30 goals now. Kuzmenko's nearly at 30. He's got 29 goals. JT Miller, for all the criticism that he's received, is almost a point a game player, 56 points in 62 games. Brock Besser, for all the criticism that he's received, has numbers that are similar to Jonathan Huberdeau's in Calgary. He's got 41 points in 55 games. And let's not forget Quinn Hughes, who has 55 assists in 59 games. Like Individually, and, it, and it's kind of a problem, right? And uh, Because you're not a good team, and yet you have to reward these guys contractually for their offensive production. Like, they couldn't afford to keep Bo Horvat because he was having this incredible scoring season. They had to pay Kuzmenko. You know, they're going to have to pay Elias Pettersson in a big way Mm -hmm. because they've got all these, you know, and and this is something that Patrick Galvin kind of insinuated when he was talking about the cap issues that the Canucks have. And he's like, well, we've got a lot of talented players that have put up points. You know, you've you've got Petey, you've you've got Miller, 
you've got Kuzmenko, you've got Quinn Hughes, right? And and you kind of you you understand it, but it's also frustrating because you're having to reward all these players that are putting up the numbers because they're like, okay, well, my comparable for this number, this amount of production is this guy on this team, so I deserve this amount. Mm-hmm. But then you're looking at the team as a whole and going. Yeah, but it's still a bad team. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very, it's very challenging as a general manager to be able to deal with that. I mean, they've got the the nice thing, I suppose, is that they've got um, a handful of those guys contractually, like Miller's long term, Hughes's long term, Petey. I think we all know the elephant in the room. There is the more goals and oh, assists that he racks get, up, the he's more. gonna get paid, right? Like Pasternak really set the bar there. I think in terms of what guys are gonna be able to fetch at that age, potentially going to market. Just the, and the offensive production, it's hard to argue with it. Like you can counter by saying, "Well, scoring's up across the league." Like if you look at the NHL overall leading scoreboard in terms of individual points, there's roughly, and I'm just ballparking it, forty to fifty guys that are point per game players now. So bringing that to the negotiating table, like if your agent's like, "Well, my guy's a point a game guy," you can counter that by saying, "There's a lot of them around the league." It's yeah. not as much of a unicorn as you think, right? <laughs> we have a couple of them here. Also, a lot of the reason the Canucks have these goal totals is because of the games that they got involved in, especially over the last month and a half, two months of the Bruce Boudreaux era, where seemingly every game was 6-5, 5-4, 7-5, 8-6. Like, there was a lot of those type of games where they just needed to outscore their problems, and they were still trying to stay in the playoff chase. Uh, David Amber is going to join us next. We can talk about... Um... The Canadian teams uh, in the NHL. By the way, we jinxed the Ottawa Senators pretty badly. That was rough. We 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 brought on Ian Mendez. We were talking about all the great things that's happening that, that are going on in Ottawa. Can can this team make this incredible run into a playoff spot? They got blanked by Chicago last night. That was tough. Five nothing. Five five nothing against the Chicago Blackhawks. They got a little cocky. They got the Halford and Bruff bump, and then they were like, "We're going to win the Stanley Cup." And then they lost to Chicago. David Amber coming up next on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. It's a big band Tuesday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I got to mention that the 2023 RBC JCC Sports Dinner is coming up on March 28th. It's just 21 days away. You can be a part of the dinner by entering the 50-50 draw and the Do It Cadillac Raffle on now. Visit sportsdinnerraffle.com for tickets. This year's guest speaker, brought to you by ZLC, is Gronk. Yeah, Rob Gronkowski, coming to Vancouver. For full event info, go to jccsportsdinner.com. A lot of Canadian teams in action last night in the National Hockey League. Vancouver, one of them. Calgary, we mentioned. Winnipeg, we mentioned. Uh, Let's go to the phone lines now. Joined as we are every week by our next guest, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? We're good, thanks. Um, good. 
I don't even know where to start, but I think I want to start with the Canucks. I know you were working last night, and the Canucks put forth uh, another pretty solid effort in what's been a string of them now under head coach Rick Tockett. Uh, we'll leave the the tank versus non-tank debate aside, but uh, curious to get your thoughts on the importance of putting stock in these games, playing well in these games that, let's be honest, don't matter in terms of standings, but as the Canucks and Tockett have mentioned, Everything matters as it pertains to getting ready and preparing for the start of next season. Well, listen, the team's certainly taken on the identity of their head coach. They're feistier. They're, they do feel more structured. They, they're certainly putting forth a good effort. Um, you know, that's, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is two points further away from Connor Bedard, but I know you don't want to go down that path. So I don't know. It's, uh, I'm a bit divided on it. I'll be honest. I'm, I don't think you tank. I think you're pro athletes. You go out there to play and you go out there to play to win, obviously. But, um, you know, part of me is like, Oh, why can't you just lose, lose with dignity. That's sort of my life's motto. I tell my kids that lose with dignity. Well, we've got a situation in Calgary where they actually got a win. It won with dignity. As a matter of fact, that snapped a five-game losing streak for the Flames. Uh, a huge result to Tyler Toffoli scoring with 6.2 seconds left uh, in Dallas to get a 5-4 win in regulation. Now, you look at this, and it's a great win for Calgary, and they really needed it. But then you look at the standings, and there's still quite a ways out. Like I don't think people realize how big of a gap it is for the Flames, and they have the disadvantage of having extra games played. If you had to kind of handicap this race right now, knowing what we know about Calgary, knowing that they've had trouble stringing together results this year, what do you give the likelihood of the Flames getting back into this thing and getting into one of those two final wildcard spots in the West? Yeah, I was doing the math last night with, with Cassie Campbell-Pascal and, and Keith and, and Anson, and you know they basically have to go, and now they've got 18 games left. But last night before their game, we were like, yeah, they kind of have to go 15-4 and four to get to 97 points. I think 97 points would be safe. But, you know, you see L.A. won again last night and Edmonton uh, won. I mean, it, it's going to be really difficult. And even Winnipeg, who had a heartbreaking loss, still picked up a point. So, you know, who are they trying to track down? That's the question. I mean, the second wild card right now are the Avs, right? I, you know, let's be realistic here. They're not going to catch Colorado. Colorado isn't going to miss the playoffs. That would be the most unforeseen thing, you know, we've seen in, in recent memory. Uh, you know, the math is horrible. And asking them to go 15 and four it's not completely outlandish but it's pretty outlandish for a team that hasn't won more than three games in a row all season you know horrible teams chicago won five in a row two weeks ago right like we're talking some really bad teams have strung together five and six wins in a row this year columbus has done it and chicago has done it montreal has done it um but this team hasn't done it all year so it's really hard to sit here and handicap it and say yeah they've got a fighting chance so if you're going to force me into a corner, which you, you guys love to do on this show, <laughs> I'll say I'll say five percent, and that and that's optimistic. I mean, it's you're asking them to do something they haven't done all year, and you're asking some of the other teams that they're tracking down to have. They don't have to collapse, but you're asking teams, you know, Colorado, Edmonton, Seattle, Winnipeg to go, you know, eight and eleven, seven and twelve, uh, you know, nine and ten type finish, yeah. and the last go fifteen and four. I just don't like it. What, what do you think happens in Calgary after this season? Because you could look at their cap-friendly page and go, oh, well, at least Milan Lucic, uh, you know, his cap hit will be off the book, so that clears $5 bucks. But that $5 bucks is pretty much automatically just going to Jonathan Huberto's raise because he goes from a $5.9 cap hit all the way up to $10.5 cap hit. So there isn't even that advantage, really, of Lucic's hit coming off the books. 
did they just run it back again and try again next season, or could you see significant change in Calgary? That's a great question. I, I, you know, I don't know if you just give them a mulligan and say, look, we totally changed up our lineup, Huberto, Kadri, Uyghur, blah, blah, blah. I, I just, this is professional sports. In life, people get mulligans and you, you take the measured approach. Pro sports is a totally different animal. It's a win now situation. And, you know, I wouldn't say Brad, you know, I, I don't, you can use one of those phrases that Brad Trey Living say, we're all in when he made that deal. I mean, his hand was forced. Johnny Gaudreau walked them all the way down the aisle and then ran away. And, and, you know, um, Matthew Kachuk basically said, here are five teams, but I'm not going to sign long-term in Calgary, so get me to one of these five teams. I think under those circumstances, Brad Trey Living did an exceptional job. You know, he expected he was going to get Jonathan Huberto from the previous three and four years in Florida. Didn't have to be a 115-point guy like he was the previous year, but he certainly was expecting, I think, a 90-point guy, which is what he basically was in Florida until that incredible year last year. And instead, he's getting it sort of a series, had a 65 point guy. So it's just, it's a big, big difference. Um, I think they're going to, I, it's, you're asking me what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I think there's going to be some, I think there's going to be some movement. You know, there, you know, if you listen to Elliot, and I trust Elliot, Elliot was saying that teams were kicking tires on Toffoli, teams were kicking tires on Lindholm. You know, those are two of the rocks you have there. Lindholm's at 485. I mean, that's a, that's a very team friendly deal. And to fully at four two five, you know, is a very team friendly deal. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to hit the reset button, you have a couple of chips to play where you could get a lot back in return. But I, it just seems like two steps forward, three steps back. If they suddenly blow this thing up, you know, what if Jacob Markstrom next year is the Vesna guy again? That changes everything, right? Like, what if they had twenty six one goal losses, fellas? Right? Yeah. You know, let's say. You know, I, I know you can do this with every team, but let's say five or six or seven of those losses were wins. They're right there. And that's not inconceivable. When you have 26 one-goal losses and you've had, I think, 13 overtime and shootout losses, you're in a lot of close games and they can go either way. And they've generally, except for last night when Toffoli scored with five seconds left, they've generally gone against Calgary this year. So there's a lot of ways to look at it. I don't think they're going to blow it up, but I definitely think there's going to be some some change, whether it's at the coaching position or at a couple of these significant um, player positions, because the chemistry with the coach and the players just doesn't seem right. Uh, goaltending in Edmonton and Toronto. Let's tackle these two teams at the same time. Um, in Edmonton, is it pretty much concluded now that Stuart Skinner is the starter and not Jack Campbell? And in Toronto, if you could predict who starts game one against Tampa Bay for the Leafs, who do you think it will be? We can start with Edmonton. So start with Edmonton. I mean, Stuart Skinner, uh, I don't even, I'm not even sure it's a debate. Cassie was saying you have to go with Skinner. I mean, Jack Campbell shell-shocked right now. He had one nice little stretch where he seemed to get straight. But kind of like Markstrom, it seems it's really maybe more of a mental than a physical thing. And we saw this a little bit in Toronto. Jack Campbell's so hard on himself. He wants to win so badly. He wants to uplift his team so badly, which are great attributes, except when they become detrimental to you, right? So Stuart Skinner right now, I know he has no playoff experience. I know he's only had 50 NHL games. I know he's 23, 24 years old. He's a young kid. But we've seen that before. You know, I don't know how old you guys are, but I remember – you know, Patrick Waugh as a rookie and Cam Ward as a rookie and Jordan Binnington and Matt Murray. We've seen a bunch of unproven, untested 
guys go out there and lead their team to great things. And who's to say Stuart Skinner isn't that guy who can do that, especially with that formidable team in front of them who leads the league in goals scored. And for Toronto, I mean, right now it's, it's probably Samsonov. It's, you know, pick your poison a little bit. Matt Murray has gone out and he's won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh, but he certainly hasn't strung together enough uh, consistency and wins and strong play this year for you to say he's our day one starter. I think we're going to figure that out. You know, the Leafs are going to go about their business and it's going to be sorted out in the next 19 games as they wrap up this season. I think they're going to put as much on Matt Murray as possible with the hopes that maybe he can be that guy that he's got one more, you know, sort of playoff run left in him. So I would say right now if the playoffs are starting at Samsonov, um, but I think Leafs Brass might be really hoping that Matt Murray can string together some nice wins and give them something to think about. Hey David, when the uh, when the Leafs were coming through town here um, over the weekend, uh, I was chatting with a few of the uh, Toronto media, and they were kind of hinting at Austin Matthews not being quite right this season. Like you look at his numbers, and he's still got sixty-one points in fifty-six games and twenty-eight goals in fifty-six games, which is which is pretty good. But then you you look at what he did last season, and he was unbelievable last season. Um, what have you seen from Austin Matthews this season? How might that impact the Leafs' ability to make a run in the playoffs? Well, the positive side, fellas, is he's been fantastic defensively. He plays 200 feet. He, I think, is right there. He leads the. I mean, this is a shocking stat from a from a Hart Trophy winner, 60 goal scorer. He leads the league, or at least he did last week when I did a Leaf Regional game. He leads the league and blocks shots by a forward. That, that's nuts. This is a 60-goal score. That, that's not, I'm not even sure I like that. But the fact <laughs> is he's doing things defensively. In fact, I don't like it. I actually said off air, I said, why would you? I won't, I don't, I cringe. When, when Tortorella was in Vancouver and he's making the Sedins go out there on the PK and try block shots, I said, this is ridiculous, in my opinion. I just don't like it because we see so many players get injured blocking shots. Anyhow, um, he leads the league or he's near the top in takeaways. Like, he's doing all the great defensive work. But let's face it, you're making $11.6 million. You're a bona fide superstar sniper. You're getting paid to score goals. That, that's a bit concerning. There's been too many nights where I've watched where I've just been saying to myself, well, he hasn't been as impactful as a scoring force. And it's not even that he's not scoring as much. It's that he's not generating as many opportunities. And that, that is a concern to me. Um, you know, they can be very thankful, the Leafs, that Nylander and Marner have been so good this year to offset what they've lost from Austin Matthews. And maybe they will take that trade off of how good he's been defensively. But, you know, I wonder if they'd rather him win the Selkie or win the Rocket Richard. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the thing. Well, the yeah, Selkie more correlates, I would say the Selkie more correlates with winning a Stanley Cup. If you look at all the Selkie winners that have won Cups. Yeah. I mean, they're... Yeah, I mean, look, Ryan O'Reilly, right? Yeah. And you may be right. I'm just wondering how much offense you want to sacrifice. I, I think you don't need Austin Matthews necessarily to score 60 goals but I think you'd like them to 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 be an offensive threat that teams are incredibly concerned about and obviously teams are still concerned about and he's still you know I'm talking about him like he's getting 10 goals he's on pace for probably if he played all 82 games like 80 uh, 40 goals which is is formidable but um it just hasn't been as consistent he scored in bunches last year the way we're seeing McDavid you know six two goal games in his last eight. I mean, we saw that with Matthews last year, scoring in bunches and at will. And it's just been a bit more of a struggle offensively for him this year. But quite honestly, guys, defensively, like he will get some selfie consideration and he's earned it. He deserves it. 
And, and as you, you make a great point, like maybe that's what they need is all of their star players grinding it out the way mm-hmm. he does and be prepared to win 2-1 and 3-2 games. Is there a concern in Toronto that there's been too much roster turnover mid-season and then they've all got to get comfortable with each other heading into one of the most important playoff years in franchise history? Big debate here. Big debate, right? You, you bring in six new players to play regularly. And if you want to add Connor Timmins, it's really seven guys who conceivably might be on your opening night playoff roster. Um, that's a lot. That's a really big turnover. Uh, you know, what I would say is you didn't bring in rookies. You brought in guys. Um, some of them have been on a number of teams and are used to getting acclimated to new teams and new systems. Some of them with the pedigree of a Ryan O'Reilly, you know, Stanley Cup winners, all the rest, all the ways hurt right now. I, I'm less concerned about that. I also think you, had a, you have a six-week runway. Right. I mean, O'Reilly was basically traded, what, February 20th or something like that. So you're talking about almost two months before the playoffs start. So I do think I do think there's enough time to get acclimated, to figure things out, for the Leafs brass to look at things. And the other thing is this, guys, and let's not forget this. They're locked into their position. They're playing Tampa in the first round. You know, they, it's not like they have to fight and claw for home ice advantage or fight and claw for, I mean, obviously would like home ice advantage in the first round, but their situation's different than Calgary or Edmonton or Winnipeg who are kind of precariously hanging in a playoff spot. Uh, you know, the Leafs are, are locked and loaded. They know their opponents. So as long as these guys get acclimated uh, and knowing who the first round opponent is, I think that, that takes a lot of pressure off. They could tinker. They can tra- change. They could try different guys in the power play. They could try different guys in different situations and see what works on different lines. They have that ability to do that. So I'm, I'm much less concerned than I would be if they were, you know, like the Islanders changing up some players and saying, now we've got to try and fight to make a playoff spot. You know, speaking of Tampa Bay, it's hard not to look at what's going on right now and saying, wow, what a great draw for the Toronto Maple Leafs because the Lightning are in a really bad way. And I know a lot of people are focused on this current five-game losing skid that they've, they're have they in, largely because of the, the very public benchings that John Cooper did on Saturday and that loss to Buffalo. If you go back and look at it, they've been way out of sorts ever since they came out of the All-Star break. It started, they lost 7-1 to in Florida. Remember, that was their mm-hmm. first game back, and they just haven't been right since then. I wonder if this is – now, some people are saying this is just a blip, and this is a team that's been making the playoffs consistently, kind of throwing it in cruise control and not playing well, and they'll get over this. But I do wonder if the grind and the constant roster churn eventually catches up to everybody, and now it's Tampa Bay's turn to get caught up to. You know what? I, I think honestly that is a great um, that's a great observation. The only thing I'll say is we, we've slept on these guys before, and at the end of the day, you have Vasilevsky, you have Hedman, you have Kucherov, you have three of the best players in the world, and I'm not even mentioning Point or Stamkos. Like, and you've got a coach who p- pushes the right buttons, you know, seemingly. So I, I'm never gonna say, yeah, Tampa, ooh, they're done, they're cooked. Uh, there is some concern. There's been attrition. When you have the runs they've had the last three years, you lose players, the Coleman's, the Goodrows, et cetera. We know that. And there is some concern. And I talk to hockey people who say, yeah, their blue line isn't what it used to be, right? McDonough's gone now. And, you know, they're relying on guys to play bigger minutes and tougher minutes than maybe they had in the past that aren't necessarily ready for that. So if there is a little bit of a, a chink in the armor, it might be, it might be the fact that they've had some attrition on the blue line. It might be the fact that they're tired out. Having said that, I'm never, ever, ever going to sleep on Tampa. All signs pointed last year to, well, they won the back-to-back cups and, 
you know, they, they're down three games to two to Toronto, and this is trouble. They were trailing going into the third in game six, and we all know what happened there. Like, they're just – they know how to win. They know how to grind out wins. So I'm, I'm not ready to, to, to put a fork in them. Is there some concerns? Are there some red flags? Yeah, but there's still, at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm just not – I'm personally not going to be like, yeah, Tampa, they're, they're in trouble. I, I just – with that roster, I, I refuse to say that. David, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week and all the games. We'll do this again next week. Yeah, I got the Flames and Wild tonight, so hopefully uh, you guys will be tuning in, and this is a, a massive game to see if yeah. the Flames can, can make that unpredictable run towards a, a playoff spot. Thanks yeah. again, guys. Cool. Right on. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. That's uh, David Amber, Hockey Night Canada NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, Flames right back in action tonight in Calgary. Or, sorry, in, in Minnesota. They're going to need... God, I didn't realize it was that daunting until he pointed out the math. Yeah, they need big f- trouble. Fifteen wins over their final nineteen. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot. Again, for a team that has real trouble stringing together wins this season, it's just uh, I'm kind of fascinated. Let's say the Flames do miss the playoffs; they don't have a heroic comeback in the season. What do they do there? Like fire Daryl Sutter. Yeah, but he's he just got a contract extension, didn't he? Like he, he's he's he, you know I, I I would consider it for sure if I'm Brad for living. I'm definitely taking the temperature of my team and going, yeah. is, is, this, is this a coaching thing? But I'm also going, man, is it a goaltending thing? Like, if, if we get a bounce back from Jacob Markstrom, are we right back in this thing? And then you've got you've to ask the question, all right, well, handicap the chances of that happening. Markey's not a young goalie anymore. He's, no. He'll be 34 next season. There's concern there for sure, without question. Yeah. Um, I just think that they are so locked into this roster and quite honestly, go look. What are movable parts of that roster right now? Well, David Amber mentioned it. He said, you know, and I was listening to uh, Elliot Freeman um, in the 32 Thoughts, and he was talking about, you know, maybe they consider trading uh, Tyler Toffoli or a Lindholm, but then you've traded those guys. Those, those, guys, those guys are performing for you. Yeah, and you know? the, but the the biggest issues with this team, if they're on the downward slope moving forward, I mean, who are the two biggest ones? It's Huberto and Kadri. Those those yeah. contracts become anchors at that point. They're really locked into w- trying to win now, right? Which is why I think you have to go in a different direction behind the bench. Sutter's made it abundantly clear this season he doesn't like his team. Mm-hmm. I think that's my that's my interpretation and my impression of well that Alan Walsh tweet still just stands out. And I know Huberto said uh, I didn't tell my agent to do that, but <laughs> Alan Walsh clearly had heard from Jonathan Huberdeau that yeah. the coaching situation wasn't great, whether he was given permission or not to send that tweet or whether Huberdeau was frustrated or not with him sending that tweet, mm-hmm. you know, clearly Alan Walsh isn't doing this for nothing. Like th- there's probably a really bad vibe in Calgary. I think there's a terrible vibe. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, there's frustrations that they probably don't know how to handle. And I think part of that goes to Daryl Sutter. Y- you can't lose that many one-goal games as a head coach and not have it affect you because you know that all those games are in your grasp. And Sutter's done the whole, well, I thought we played pretty good out there tonight, when they lose. Yeah. And he's not wrong. I think that's the important thing to note here. That's not a, like a, a terrible assessment, but you know that privately he's seething because he's competitively hardwired. And he yeah. lo- so imagine not saying – publicly what you're saying privately and I got a feeling that it probably he wears guys down Mm -hmm. is the thing guys eventually get tired of 
the constant critiques and the negativity and the the short answers that you know the, the easiest thing might be to make a coaching change mm-hmm. and run the team back again. I think that's what they'll do with Bruce Boudreau in charge. Uh, real quick, before we talked about Tampa Bay there, and my I, I've kind of been thinking about this over the last little bit because I went back and looked, and I mentioned with David Amber, this five-game losing streak that they're in, that's the one that's grabbing all the headlines. But if you go back and look at it, they've been just out of sorts. Yeah. For the entire month of February, right after they came out of the All-Star break, I do wonder if they've hit that point where – the and by attrition I mean just hard cap and you can't keep everybody. If it's just whittled them away to the point where they're not the Tampa Bay Lightning that we remember. Well, Fridge was talking on on the podcast about he thinks that Breezebois he thinks that Breezebois thinks that they're one defenseman short. Yeah, like they, they just just want one one more. If they could have picked up one at the deadline it would have been a lot better. And remember, we heard rumors about them maybe being in on Luke Shen. Well, Luke Shen ends up going to Toronto instead. The Lightning just didn't have much left to trade. No, they were, yeah, and they, they spent so much capital to get Tanner Janot. All I'm saying is, do you know who their second leading scorer in the playoffs was last year, that run to the Stanley Cup final for the third consecutive time? It was Andre Palat. Right. And he just walked in the offseason for nothing. Not for a lack of trying. Mm-hmm. They wanted to keep him, but... In a hard cap world with the kind of talent that the Lightning have, you just can't keep those guys. Imagine someone losing their second leading point getter in the playoffs. 21 points in 23 games. Almost a point a game guy. And he's just gone. And yeah, you can bring in guys like Hagel and guys like Janot. But the reality of it is, is and here's the thing, eventually your trade is not one of your trades is not going to hit. You're going to whiff on a guy. It'll it, it's inevitable. No one bats a thousand in the NHL when it comes to acquiring players. Eventually, for some reason or another, it's not a right fit, or it doesn't work out, or the guy just can't get it done the way you thought he was going to. And it's unfortunate, because you'd like... We talk about dynasties all the time. You'd love for the Tampa Bay Lightning, or insert team here, to be able to keep the band together and play here. Yeah, but it's almost impossible. But you know what? now you're seeing seeing exactly what happens. Let's not write them off quite yet. Let's not write them off quite yet. No. Uh, you're listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We've got some Canucks talk coming up next. Uh, we're going to ask the question, if Thatcher Demko is the starter next season for the Vancouver Canucks, who's going to be the backup? Backup goalie talk only in Vancouver on Sportsnet 650.